Welcome to the Podcrastinators, bringing you a mixture of comedy, social and political commentary from New Zealand and around the globe. In other words, the show that's meant to make sense of everything, but quite often doesn't. Hello, I'm Darren Lees, a globally experienced businessman, politically to the right, stand-up comedian, comedy writer, and of course, podcast presenter. And I'm Matt Danaher. I'm an amateur writer, traveller, podcaster, and Instagram influencer, and professional union organiser and socialist who likes to be optimistic about a future. Welcome to the 10th episode of the Podcrastinators Season 2. Why are you waving your arms? Because it's episode 9. <laughs> Welcome to... Okay. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of the Podcrastinators, and we are delighted to be joined by Elliot with one T at the end of the name McLaren, a up-and-coming name in the Auckland comedy scene. And Elliot was born in Picton to a working poor family with a Scottish Māori mother. And um, his father's his father's parents came from West Ham. Where's her West Ham? Just out of London. Oh, oh, nice. oh West Ham. West Ham. Hey, Ah, I read it as Westham. I was like, where's Westham? I'm a West Ham supporter. I'm offended by your ill pronunciation. (laughs) Well, he wrote it Westham. It's written Westham. I'm reading it out as it was written. I knew exactly where he was. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thank you. Um, Darren is live editing the Google Doc as we speak. So, your father's father's parents were Cockneys? Mm. Cool. Um, you've got two older, he's got two older sisters and a twin brother. He was kicked out of home and school when he was 16 and where he moved to Christchurch to learn how to be a butcher and small goods man. All right, now I've got another question. What's a small goods man? That's just somebody who makes like charcuterie products or sausages, salamis, Um, things like that, prosciutto. So it's not a small goods man. It's a small yeah, that's how you'd say. That's how I'd say it. Small goodsman. Yeah, I'm just not very literate. That's all. Yeah, no, I'm just, um, I'm just making sure I'm reading it right. Yeah, it no, could, be a, it could be a goodsman like... who's small. But I bet you, you're not that small. <laughs> or a man with small uh, goods. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't have been that successful at being a, a small goodsman, but being no. a small goodsman, that's different. <laughs> yeah. So Elliot came out of the closet when he was 21 which was difficult coming from an extremely homophobic environment and upbringing. And um, he started doing stand-up about a year ago. Um, So just approaching your first anniversary. Mm -hmm. Um, He absolutely loves it, apparently. And he did his first two gigs at the Classic and was then asked to compete in the Raw Comedy semi-finals and hasn't stopped since. And you did pretty well in So you got through to the semi-finals, was it? Or did you get through to the finals? No, the semis. I got through the semis, yeah. Yeah, I remember you doing well. That's, Which uh, was pretty overwhelming because I'd only even done two gigs and they're like, oh, you can go and do this. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw either your first or second. I'm sure I was on the same lineup as you on your first or second ever gig. I think it was my first one. Yeah, it's and I just... Really, I, 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 I vividly remember that. John Donnan was the opening act, I think. For my first <laughs> yes, and pe- people definitely always remember his act. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, gave me, it gave me a big confidence boost when I saw that was going on. So I was like, okay, cool. This is, yeah, I can, I can do this. There's lots of room to do what you, what's, you think's funny, basically. Mm. And it, you know, it can work. 
And yeah, I've, I know I do remember you blew everyone away, and we nobody believed it was your first ever gig. Um, so no surprise when you cropped up and got through to the semi-finals. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Um, anything you'd like to add to your bio? Nah, not really. No, um, <laughs> no, not really. I mean, growing up in Picton was 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 really. I mean, growing up in rural New Zealand, I didn't realise how much it shapes you until moving to the city. So that's like that's something that is a huge difference, especially living in Auckland. I never even thought I'd make it this far, you know, to get out of Picton. So I just think, you know, a lot of people, especially up here in Auckland, I realise the massive differences and, and, and things that people have to sort of deal with growing up in rural New Zealand because a lot of the time you just get stuck. So it's one of those sort of places. But um, now, look, I'm a really easygoing, sort of happy guy. I never used to be like that had like a lot of demons and a lot of stuff in, um, in my past that have sort of really held me back but sort of for the last couple of years now I've done a lot of work on myself and especially coming out of the closet that was a big thing for me mm, yeah it was a real big thing coming out of the closet was massive was, was that more of a family issue around the homophobic side or was that a, the surroundings you were in at that time sadly both um, Picton, rural New Zealand especially, but Picton, but Picton is pretty homophobic. Most of those small towns are really homophobic. So, I mean, my mum's a really liberal sort of person. I guess you'd say that she's a union delegate and she's travelled the world and she's seen a lot of stuff. So she's not really phased by anything to do with sexuality. Um, she's a very strict woman, very strict woman, but she's not phased by that sort of stuff. That was more my dad and my cousins and all my friends and... Mm. Oh, every, every the rugby clubs, all the sports clubs you play for, everybody in the in that area. Even going to Christchurch is still very homophobic. Yeah. A union delegate, Matt, you'd be interested in that. Mm. Yeah, where does she work? She works at Hornby High School. She's a school ah, teacher. She's a high school okay, teacher. Cool. She's a dean dean at the high school and cultural coordinator for the Maori Pacific Island and the um, Middle Eastern kids and Filipinos. So they've got a lot of. Um, refugees a lot of immigrants at their school so she deals with the cultural coordination for all of them and and stuff like that but she does she still teaches english and her father was the he was the union delegate for 37 consecutive years at the picton freezing works oh wow so obviously you've had a lot to contend with through your life right i mean you've had some conversations outside of this and obviously not sure how much of that you really want to go into but how hard was it to pull you out of those situations that you have found yourself in really difficult honestly a lot of the time like I never really imagined I would like I said I'd get this far and I never really in the at the time I never pictured myself ever getting out of that that sort of environment I thought I was uh, I was that was me but like at the same time to be honest with you when I was younger I'd never really planned to live for a huge amount of time I just wanted to hit it hard and fast and um, never made any plans to sort of have a future. So, which was, you know, like all good if you want to have some fun. But then when you get to the age where you never thought you're going to get to, and you go, "Holy fuck, I'm actually going to, I'm still alive, and I'm still going to be alive." What was it that changed that for you? Uh, you to be coming out of the closet was actually one of the big things for me. Um, when I came out when I was like turned twenty one. Um, before then that was definitely my probably rougher years in life um, and 
coming out sort of like it was something I never like I never thought I was going to be able to do it it was impossible I was ever gonna you know just carry on the way I was doing and then that wouldn't last for much longer and that would be it or I didn't really have a plan so once I sort of come out um I found two things happened um I felt a lot better about myself a lot more confident in myself and I actually had some self-esteem I was like you know what you're worth something you can go and do something and also a lot of the people who were not necessarily holding me back but just keeping my ties held in, in a certain environment that was sort of gone after I came out of the closet they didn't really want a huge amount to do with me a lot of these people so it was freeing in a sense where they didn't want really anything to do with me I was ready to give it up so we just sort of went our separate ways still associates of a lot of these people and still very friendly of a lot of these people and some didn't care don't be wrong but like the majority of it was once it was like that I was free I was gone I could do whatever I wanted to so it took a long time and even now still I like I go two step forwards one step backwards and stuff like that it actually takes years which is something I never really thought about I didn't I thought a lot of people think it's going to be like a movie. You're going to come out of the closet and you're going to be sweet. I'm living my free life and I'm getting away from all this old, with the gangs and the drugs and the crime and stuff like that. And um, it's not, it's not like a Disney movie where you go, here I am and living my life now. It's, it's fucking years of constantly making decisions that are going to move you forward in life. Wherever that direction is. I mean, I thought originally it was butchery because I was really passionate about it. You know, I used to compete, but then now my passions are sort of for butchery. Uh, they're just at home passions now. I like cooking and I like doing things at home and working with meat, but I wouldn't want to do it for a, a full-time gig anymore. It was, yeah, it was coming out of the closet was a huge thing for me. And then also talking about my problems too, like going to, because when I first came out, I thought, I oh, cool, this is going to be the start of something new, but I still hadn't changed a lot of my old behaviours. So, you know, I did it. It wasn't perfect. I mean, I was in a relationship for about three years, but the person ended up being a con artist. Oh. And about three and a half years into it, we, we got engaged. And um, I found out, I said to, the, said to my partner, Dave, I said, oh, look, at the end of my apprenticeship, I think I'm going to go overseas and go and be a traveling butcher just to see the world and, and stuff like that. And I had a gig lined up in Singapore to start me off. And, um, and then he didn't want to go and we had a bit of a thing about it, but it was about six months after that, I re I'd found out that he'd, he'd just stolen everything from me in about six months. He just cleaned out everything oh, and then oh. um, hadn't paid any rent for a long time, hadn't paid any of the bills for a long time. So I just got home one day, my car was gone, cell phones cut off, power's cut off, I had an eviction notice and I was broke. I was about $16,500 in debt. Mm. Yeah. yeah and so after that that was a really trying time because I thought I'd sort of done everything right and I thought well, you know I finally I'm following the rules here and I'm doing something right why the fuck did I get this big kick in the guts and so yeah. after that I sort of I was like you know what I'm going back to I'm going back to my old life I tried it I tried my best it didn't work out for me and I had a lot of debt so I thought well fuck I know one really good way to make a lot of money fast yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all been downhill for me. And, um, I, um, and so, yeah, I, 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 same time, at the same time it happened, one of my old cronies, my best friend, actually, he's like my brother, he, um, 
he was going through a similar situation where he was newly single and, you know, we were like, oh, fuck, let's make some money. We don't have anything holding us back. And had a bit of a crazy year. Yeah. And then found myself again. Um, was in, I was in Wellington and um, met my current partner there. And when I came up to Auckland, I just thought, I got to this point where I thought, you know what, fuck it, Elliot. It does, obviously doesn't matter if you're going to play by a certain set of rules or if you're going to... Um, you know, follow these guidelines that people would set and you'd never followed them. And now you think, oh, I deserve something. It doesn't really matter in life. I, I think shit's going to happen. So you may as well just live it to your, exactly the way you want to live it. And that's why I started doing stand-up because I thought, oh, fuck, I want to be an entertainer. I want to get out and about and, and, and perform and stuff like that. And shit's going to happen no matter what. So you may as well just live it to the fullest. And what, had you had any previous history in sort of like entertainment or something? And, and what was behind you about like, I'm going to do stand-up specifically? What what drove that? I don't know. And I don't know, like even sometimes now I, I think that like, I had no previous experience. I'd done a school production when I was about 13, but it was mandatory to do it at school. So um, that was the only experience I'd ever really had. I'd, I'd never been really on a like... I'd never been really on a stage or used a microphone before I went to the classic. So that was really the first times I did it. And and I think a lot of the inspiration I got was going through that really hard breakup where, you know, your partner was a con artist. You come out of the closet for him and, and he stole everything from you, ripped me off. I mean, I was sleeping in the back of a fucking BMW 3 Series with Bull Mastiff because that's all I had. In the Christchurch winter, I was freezing and I was homeless had no nowhere to go and and was really lost and and a lot of the stuff that actually would get me out of bed in the day and, and keep me positive was stand up comedy. Was watching stand up or watching um, sketch comedy and stuff like that and that was really a big inspiration for me and it kept me going. So after that, I was like, I wanted to be that person. Talking of sketch comedy, because um, I see you say that's one of your inspirations. Have you given that a go yet? No, I would love to. I would absolutely love to give sketch comedy a go and do like skits and, and, and write skits. Me and my partner talk about it all the time and um, I sort of have ideas to make um, just a little thing up on social media because there's a lot of inspirations in my life who I'd like to sort of, you know, bring to life, a lot of characters I'd like to bring to life. So it's something I'll, I'll, I'm really looking forward to um, getting involved in. Is your partner currently in entertainment or something at the moment? I seem to remember. Drag. A little drag bit of drag. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of a drag queen. He has always been really into drag for years, but has never really had a lot of support around him to get into it. So I, I think it was after I started doing stand-up, he was like, oh, yeah, that's where well, you can get up on stage, so I should be able to do it too. And then um, just going to town with him while he was dressed in drag a few times, just having that sort of support, because a lot of it comes down to that. No yeah. one's going to dress up as a drag queen and go to town by themselves and not know anybody. So so is he kind of regularly performing now or building up to that? Building up, he's building up to Drag Wars, um, which is like a monthly competition they run, um, cool. which is it, it's actually a really cool sort of thing. It's just a, a drag competition and the winner gets 500 bucks and then you get a sort of get some regular spots from there. Yeah. Wow. That's that's not bad. That sounds more lucrative than stand-up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> 500 bucks a month, that's 500 bucks a month more than you'd get for doing stand-up. So, 
That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a get rich quick no. profession, is it? No, definitely yeah. not. Definitely not. But that's so, something I quite like about it. Um, compared to other aspects of the entertainment industry, it's not a bunch of people who are just clawing and stepping on each other's heads to try and get that big paycheck it's more like a lot of people just fumbling around trying to make other people laugh and if they make some money doing it then they're happy that's right yeah that is one of the that is one of the good things about it i think and the fact that it does feel like um you know despite the fact that like any pro any community it has problems the auckland comedy community is a pretty fun place to hang out most of the time absolutely i think 90 percent of the time is it's it's really yeah. good and, and a lot of the in, international comics will a time to that they go nah this is basically fantastic yeah i reckon so while you were watching stand-up and sketch comedy who were your inspirations which people did you say i want to be like them dave chappelle was probably my, my biggest inspiration he's someone i've been watching for years since i was young and i love his work the way he the way he can bring all these different characters a lot of the characters and a lot of the people you see in, in chappelle show i can relate to a huge amount um, I don't know why, but there's a lot of these characters where I grew up too. So um, and I just think he does a really, really good job of telling a story. Um, mm. And it may not necessarily be in a, in a, in a um, like a, an obvious fashion where, but like the, the characters he's got, the costumes he has involved, the scripts he writes for those characters, he, he that's, tells a really good story by doing that. So, yeah, he was probably a big inspiration. And then there was a few other people who I saw on Facebook who were just sort of, they're like your social media comics sort of thing. And and Dre Skrilla and Sonny Jim are these two guys from somewhere here in Auckland. But they they were really inspiring because they did a huge, they did some fucking hilarious skits about, um, you know, what it's like when your mate or your boyfriend's addicted to pee and how they behave. And, and they tell some really, like, honest stories too where it's just them vlogging and they'll tell stories about how you know how they ended up in prison and how they ended up in a gang and um of course they moved away from all of that lifestyle now but they were really inspiring as well and just to hear these people who have done it all you know they're like just being done the the lowest of the low crack smoking antics which is something I was really lucky where I didn't really have, have to get into I was never really the crackhead that was burning people's houses to sell a TV for me if I never got that I was never that unfortunate so I always had work and stuff like that but these guys have really been there done that and um, they're fucking hilarious so they were a big inspiration for me too yeah it's that difference between a recreational crackhead and uh, one who makes it a full time job yeah absolutely yeah there are people who make it a full time job and, and those people I just find so I hate to say it's so entertaining to watch them just do their things being especially coming from that side of the fence and going, okay, I know how you got there, but I never got there myself. I was never, I was never like, you know, burgling someone's house for, for crack money. I never did. I never did that. So yeah, I just find them fascinating creatures. So what I find interesting is you're watching all these videos about people. <clears throat> you decide you want to be a stand-up comic. You've not been to any formal training for stand-up comedy. So I understand. Did one day it was just a pen and pad and just started writing some stuff down? 
Pretty much. Like it's, it's, the first time I ever did it was I was sitting in Wellington. I was really bored. And I was at the time I was dealing drugs. So I had a lot of spare time. And um, I wasn't working. I uh, My doctor taking me off work for mental health reasons because I started to deal with a lot of the issues from uh, past traumas and childhood traumas and stuff like that. So he goes, you know, take some time off work. We'll go ACC pay for the counsellor because of a sensitive claim. And so they sought me out of that. And then I had all the spare time, but I still had to make money because I still had all those debts from my previous partner. So I was in Wellington and I was sort of selling drugs and just hanging out and enjoying myself. And I was watching Dave Chappelle's new Sticks. Well, it was new at the time, but Sticks and Stones. I think that was his last special we put out. And I thought, I mean, a lot of people hated it. I thought it was fucking hilarious. And I thought it was really accurate. He did a fantastic job. I myself as a, one is somebody who's been sexually abused as a child because he made a few jokes about that. And then two, being gay because he made a few jokes about that too. I wasn't offended whatsoever. I thought it was hilarious. And so I really liked it. But I was watching that and just thought, fuck, I really want to do something big. You know, I want to really do something. Not big, like doing stand-up comedy is like super big, but I just wanted to do something out of the box, out of the ordinary, and I loved it. So yeah, pen and paper, I wrote some stuff down. And then about an hour later, I went to a bar in Wellington Turns out it was like a variety show. It wasn't actually stand-up because it was people doing plays or like, you know, I don't know, they were doing some sort of quite artsy stuff in Wellington. So, but yeah, gave that a nudge. There was no mic or anything like that. I just stood there and told some jokes I'd written about 45 minutes before that. But they, a comic there said, look, you, you know, you've got some stuff. You should keep going. And um, I've just put it on the back burner because I knew I was moving to Auckland. And then we had two lockdowns and so... Was there anything that drove the move to Auckland specifically, or was it big city time to step up thing? Oh, yeah, it was a bit of that. Like, my partner was, he was studying, and, and my current partner was studying in Wellington when we met. And um, at the end of his degree, he was like, I'm going back to Auckland because I'm from there. Ah. Wellington was beginning to, even though I'd only been there for a small amount of time, was already beginning to run out of city for me. If you know what I mean, it's not massive. I was mm-hmm. really, I'd moved there to, to be in, in in the drug dealing industry, which is pretty small territory. And um, so that was running out of city for me pretty quickly. And, and I really wanted to get away from doing that. I'd done it before in my life and I didn't want to keep doing it. It wasn't bringing me any happiness and it was nice for a wee while just so I didn't have to work, but I just thought, oh, fuck, I want to get back on, on track and so I moved to Auckland. I didn't know anybody up here, which is a big bonus. Yeah. But do you think that will be, do you think, if you, have you got this urge to keep moving on to sort of bigger places, more interesting places, do you think sort of Sydney might be next or you might go back to your being a travelling butcher plan? No, nah, look, I don't think I'll ever go back to being a butcher. Not unless I, I find something or I, I own my own business. But even then, I probably wouldn't be a really hands-on business owner. Um, it's not something that I'm really passionate about doing for a career anymore. So I don't think I'll go back to that. But I do find myself get bored very quickly. So um, this city's still got a lot to offer. And it's still got heaps going on for it. But the thing that really draws me from leaving is the fact that it's fucking expensive it's going to take a long time to be able to buy a house here and um i'd probably be better off 
um, just going around and, and seeing what else other places have got to offer. I don't plan to be able to save and buy a house and have the white yeah. in Auckland. That's not the, it's not why I came here and I'm not planning to stay here for it. Nah, you'd end up living in Beachlands. Yeah, well, that's, I don't even know where Beachlands is. Well, I'm not sure. Fuck off, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to have a guess where I live, Elliot, by any chance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's about 35 kilometres out of the city and it's by the beach, funnily enough. So, um, but yeah, it does make it very trying when someone sends you a note on a Sunday night going, hey, do you want to do a spot at Win-Win at six o'clock? And you go, oh, fuck, I need a shower. I need to get into the city. No, I can't do it. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, short short, um, short notice spots are pretty hard to do from out here, it would be fair to say. Yeah. Thanks for the, thanks for the reminder, Matt. Um, <laughs> if I was to live in Auckland, I wouldn't live in the city. I would live, like, my in-laws live out in uh, Moody White Beach, so... Oh, I'm so and like I love it out there. That's fantastic, and I wouldn't if I was going to live here. That's how I would live. Would be way out there. Yeah, yeah, fair do. So, one thing that a lot of our listeners are always interested in, because a lot of our listeners are very similar to all of us, sort of fairly new out in the comedy scene, is how you get your inspiration for writing and how you go about writing. Do you have a kind of set routine you use, or a certain way of writing? I don't, I look, I, I probably do, but I'm incredibly uh, sort of uneducated when it comes to, you know, like being a comic and, and the technical side of things to it. So I probably do, but I don't have a name for it. I just, I normally just think of situations and a lot of my inspiration, a lot of my topics I write about will come from like a particular sort of thing. It might be like perspective and I'll write down all these things about perspective or, or, or it won't necessarily be writing about something very specific if yeah. you know what I mean but I just keep my phone out and if I think of something funny and I'm driving or I'm somewhere and I think of something funny I'll just quickly jot that down and then, and then build on it but I don't have anything really sometimes I try to write I mean look a lot of the time if I try to write too specifically it gets not so much funny and more so much honest. Yeah. If you know what I mean, then I sort of just start, it's more me just giving my opinion on something then. It's an interesting one, isn't it? As a comic, I think we talked about this a few times, or certainly I have, is that I've seen a few comics do bits where they've obviously written this story and it's a really interesting story. And sometimes the whole audience will be sat there on the edge of their seats. They want to hear the next bit. Mm. But there's, not, there's no laughs. Yeah. <laughs> then the comic will be like, right, actually, there's not enough laughs. I'm, I'm not even going to finish the story. Uh, and, and you're sat in the audience thinking, no, just finish it. Because it's actually yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And I, I do think we, you know, I don't think we should. I mean, fuck, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to comedy, really. I'm still very new. But... I think people should be a bit braver with those honest, interesting stories sometimes. If they've got them and they want to tell them, just tell them. Yeah. The only time it's ever backfired on me is um, telling them to the, probably the wrong audience and people are like, <laughs> I can't wait, you know, like, um, and that, that's really about it when people can't really relate to your stuff. Because, I mean, I could tell some really out there stories, like, you know, I could, I'd never forget the first time I went in, in, into, a, into a meth lab and it was like, wow, that was like, and tell, tell us, like, and just the way it played out, it was just really, fuck, it was so like, not necessarily cliche in a bad way, but it was very, very like, 
this couldn't you couldn't write it. It was like holy shit, this is this is crazy. It's but the guy had um pure imagination from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory playing <laughs> on loop. And it was this fucking like I can't describe it too much because there's a bit of a court case going on and I don't want to give away too many details, but um it was this real dingy sort of workshop and it had all these big spikes on the door and then a second door made out of like uh wrought iron with spikes on it so you had to go through two doors to get in so what the guy's playing pure imagination on loop and he's got this meth lab and then he's got a blowtorch hooked up to the front of this <laughs> four by four truck and he's smoking crack while it's going in the flame and it was just i was like oh my god what the fuck yeah, health and safety in the meth industry is something that needs to be I think. I actually made a joke. That's why I had to stop stop cooking meth because um, after I came out, it made my skin go all bad and a gay man can't have bad skin, so. <laughs> oh, Did you walk in and go, mate, that's not how you cook. Get out of here. That, that a real shit. Let a real chef show you how shit's worked. <laughs> the way the, it's funny, the way I actually got the job was because I was the only one who was relatively sober there. <laughs> and so this, there was no organization. It was just a fucking circus. Like I'm sure you could imagine. And, and there was oh, a bunch shit. of like what they call it in, in the sort of community, they call it like a certain person who's who's cooked, like absolutely fried from yeah. Yeah. fritters. <laughs> so like all these little fritters or critters are running around and um you know, just making an absolute whoever mess. And I sort of just walked in and I was like, right, you can't all fuck off. You're just getting in the way. Fuck off somewhere. Go and make yourself useful. Go and do something. And um, kicked everybody out and just left it to the to the dude who was running. And he was like, well, you're pretty good at this. And he's like, you know, would you be able to go and get a few bits and pieces? And I was like, yeah. And I remembered everything. He's like, oh, that, I can't, I don't know why <laughs> I brought everything back he'd asked for. And he goes, oh, that's a first. I was like, what? He's like, you remembered everything. I was like, I'm not cooked. And he was like, oh, you can work here if you want. I, like, yeah, sweet. <laughs> I don't know why this reminds me of lock, stock and two smoking barrels. <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that film. Oh, yeah, I love, I love yeah, those. It, I love it, it just reminds me of just that shambles of the guys who had the money stole off them and everything like that the the, the potheads yeah 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 the guys who were all the weed yeah it was it was very similar to that but they were moving a lot faster because they were smoking, yeah. <laughs> smoking weed you know when yeah. you're writing your stuff is there anything that you go now that's out of bounds or are you willing to go anywhere because obviously you do use a lot of your historical experiences and stuff like that but is there some stuff that you go actually that's just too raw for audiences to really take on some of the stuff here yeah, definitely there's this there's, there's definitely situations that i've um been involved in that i probably wouldn't say on stage because um they're pretty raw pretty graphic especially when it comes to violence that's not really that funny that kind of makes people uncomfortable but when it comes to if it's not involving any violent acts that i've been involved in then i don't really have an issue i'll go anywhere the only thing I don't like is when I will make certain jokes and then people will take it sort of from a more social justice point of view. Where, and I, I, no offense to them, you know, I'm sure they're doing the, the good fight and stuff like that, but they need to sort of understand that um, there's aspects of society that they don't, it doesn't work like that. You just, you are what you are. There's no, 
but that's <laughs> right. It's a bit like going back to the gangster rap kind of thing, isn't it? Of people criticizing that on the basis, you know, claiming that it was glorifying gangster lifestyles and so on. Mm. It did degenerate into that kind of way, but at first, the first stuff that came out was very much just telling a story. Absolutely, yeah. This is what it's like. This is what happens. And, you know, sometimes that story is offensive, but it's true. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And so that, that's that's the only time I really do struggle is trying to tell stories of of things. And also people sort of getting the Sometimes people get, I notice people do get their heckles up sometimes. So if you're going to tell a story and, and like say, if I was to tell a story and involved a lot of people with Māori names, somebody would probably turn around and be like, you're being racist. But it's like, no, I just grew up around people with a lot of Māori names. Yeah, yeah. I even made a joke about that once on stage. Is, well, I don't know why people get so um, afraid of where I come from. You don't get afraid of somebody with a Māori name. You get afraid of somebody with a fucked up name like Flame. Because <laughs> they're, they're the ones whose parents are cooked enough to call them Flame. Not something like Hemi, you know, that's an actual language, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and when they've got a mullet and a they've got a mullet and a check shirt and a small mustache, and they're called flame, combine those things and you know you've got to be on your guard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Baby a little baby assassin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really I don't really have any story that I'm afraid to tell anybody which is like you know i think that's a good thing to have especially if you want to be a storyteller um which in my in my lineage and my ancestors and stuff that's we've always been storytellers so and like our our tonga for our iwi is the voice so that's you know something that's been part of my maori culture that's pretty deep-seated in my maori culture but um it can backfire on you too because you can meet people and you can tell them these stories and they just say what the fuck like I don't want to know. Yeah. Oh. Especially when it comes to TV people, they're like, oh, no. <laughs> You've got to, got to choose your audience carefully. I, I've got a story that I've been trying to make into a joke for ages that's based on a true story. But whenever I tell people, they're just like, no, I don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> yeah. And that's completely changed my opinion of you. <laughs> no, yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna find a way to develop it into something because it is funny. <laughs> to me, anyway. Yeah, I think that's important too. That's something that I I always try to maintain if I'm writing a joke is do I find this entertaining and funny because I've written jokes that I know are funny, but I don't like them. So, mm. you know, I think that is quite important too. I just to be able to be self-critical of your own stuff, that's really important, right? To go, yeah, I think that's hilarious, but to have that amount of restraint to go, but I just don't think it's right for an audience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, or at least not for most audiences. Uh, a comic who's been coming up in South in uh, Auckland recently, I don't know if you've seen her, is Bubba. Um, I'm telling everyone. Have you seen her? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm telling everyone. Yeah, I've seen Bubba. I can't remember where, but, and I've heard a lot about her, and everybody's sort of been whispering about her recently. So. Yeah, she had a, she had a really good show with Torfinger and James Nakisi on the comedy festival. And then um, went to see her at her own show a bit later on as well. And just her her way of telling stories and the way she's brought in a really diverse audience um, from like South Auckland, who I think are a bit different to, um, I think it's fair to say, to her normal comedy audiences in Auckland. Absolutely. And you're like, yeah, you can tell these kind of, st- not that she's got anything like that, but you can tell these kind of jokes and stories that are very different. And it actually brings in a different audience. And yeah, the normal comedy audience might struggle with it or not like it, but there's a whole other audience of people out there who don't normally go and see comedy. But if they see something like this, they're like, 
yeah, that's funny. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I love those sort of audiences and, and their sort of audiences that will probably get a lot of my material. Don't be wrong, my, my material does really well with normal comedy or audiences, mm. but they sort of will get it on a different level. Then, then like, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, that's funny because it's funny, but like when it's personal, that's even obviously even better. And, and so, like, yeah, if I tried to do jokes about, say, like, growing up, you know, poor in rural New Zealand, it's uh, there's a, the normal comedy community are even going to, you know, see the funny side or they either go, oh, you know, that's quite more. And they sort of take a step back and they're like, oh, I don't know if I should laugh at that. You know, I feel a bit stink. But if you do it to people who are also in a poor community, they're like, fuck, that's hilarious. It's, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I could imagine Wellington would be one of those comedy communities. Nothing against the Wellington comedy community, but from what people who've moved from Wellington to Auckland have told me that it can be, don't go for too sensitive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. So I've even heard that about Christchurch as well, which was surprising. But I think they were just trying to get away from the whole, we're a racist city so much, or we're a bigoted city so much that they're just like, no bigotry. Well, about time. Yeah, 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 you're not wrong. Okay, give it a go. Um, so you've been doing a few a few bits of MCing recently. Um, you've certainly MCed Ding Dong, I think, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you found that compared to normal stand-up? A lot of fun. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's actually been a really nice feeling because it's a, it's, um, it's a different role you're playing. So you're sort of like playing this role where you're caring for the performers, the comics are performing, but also the audience as well. So it's I really, really like that aspect of it where I'm trying to make the people who are actually performing, I get to take a step back and, and just try and make the people who are actually performing their material, um, doing their bits. Um, as comfortable as possible and, and um, you know, sort of as loose and, and relaxed as possible and, and make sure that they're full of oomph when they come up here. But also um, you're doing that role of caring for the audience too and you're um, making sure that they're happy and everything like that. So I really, really enjoyed it. And when you're doing your MC work, are you preparing any differently to how you would for stand-up? At first, no, I just sort of winged it. And that's sort of the, my motto for everything in life is just to go and do it and see what happens. And, you know, if it turns to custard, fuck, it turns to custard. But at least you learn from your mistakes. And so at first, no, I was just sort of winging it. And I just sort of jumped up there and just said, oh, I've got jokes. I'll just tell the jokes in between and try and work them in. And, and so if somebody did a, a set about something, you can sort of get up and back them up with us. It might be a joke about the same topic or something like that or... The best, honestly, the best shows when you're emceeing them I've found are the ones where you, the MC does the least amount of work. Mm. You know what I mean? So if you can just keep bringing people straight up there because everybody's killing it, that's that's the best. But I never really, I've never really planned for it. No. One of the one of the things about Ding Dong because obviously that's where you've done it a few times in particular. I, I find is it's a, it's a funny, it's a gig that people can find quite funny. Like it's. You know, it's a it's a meta, it's a rock club. Um, you get a lot of randos passing by. Maybe they've had a few drinks. They're looking more for rock music than they are for comedy. But actually, so you can have very mixed nights. But actually, it's a very forgiving venue as well. And so mm-hmm. you can go you can go and completely fuck up one night, and you can go back the next week, and it's fine because it's an entirely different audience, and no one's got any preconceptions based on your previous performance. 
Yeah, I love that about Ding Dong. I, I really do. It's, it is a lot more relaxed, and you definitely feel it when you're the MC because obviously you're up on stage after every single performer. So you feel it a lot more than, say, when I MC Win Win, it was a little bit. I've done that a couple times as well. And, and that's uh, people sort of are sitting there going, right, like they're expecting something. But Ding Dong's very relaxed, and, and, um, you can almost just have conversations, like in between acts, you can almost mm. have conversations with certain people. What was your opinion on that performance? You know, that, that are, it is a lot more relaxed like that. Yeah. So one thing that I've definitely noticed is that you are becoming quite a respected member of the Auckland comedy community. Um, certainly amongst Mary Pacific performers as well. And they certainly see someone they can resonate to and, and, and trust fairly well. And obviously, recently, there's been one or maybe even two who is around the uh, Mary Pacific comedy community and, and where that goes from there and the challenges in there. Is there anything you feel comfortable talking about around that and your personal views on how Mary Pacific could be represented better and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have, I don't know if I've got like a, I don't know. I just find my view on the whole situation is is more so about organising us ourselves. I don't really. There's a. I, okay, I'm just going to fucking go right out and say it. There's a lot of people who sort of want, and I'm not saying necessarily in, in the comedy community, but just there's a lot of people throughout history and, and throughout society and stuff like that who um, really are looking for a handout more than anything. And so one thing that with the Māori Pacifica group, there's been one major hui at the at the Classic, and then there's been a couple of like follow-up ones, and I've had a, just a hui just of me and the facilitator who was for the original um, hui there, um, just at his office, just to talk about things. And, and uh, one thing that I'm really, really passionate about is um, creating our own space, not necessarily trying to take over another space, if you know what I mean, there's this, this, it can be, can be kind of tricky if you've, if you've got this, you know, group of people who are really, really fantastic, but they, they want to go, okay, cool. We want a piece of your pie, um, which is all well and good. That's fine. But I would rather have my own pie, if you know what I mean. So when it comes to those hooies, one thing that I always try to, you know, talk to people about, especially when it came to people like Nick Rado and stuff, I was explaining to him about, because uh, he goes, you know, what can we do? as event organisers and people who, and I said, well, just actually have gigs in the areas where those people are you want to perform to. Don't have a gig in Ponsonby and go, okay, win-win tonight's going to be only Pacifica audiences and it's going to be, you know, built just for that. You know, once a month we'll do a Pacifica night and once a month we'll do a Māori night or once a month we'll do a POC night or something like that. I think it's more important to go, right, Māori and Pacifica people, let's, organize ourselves and we let's get these gigs where our whanau are and where our where our peoples are and let's get them in venues that are going to be really accommodating for that and let's let's make our own pie so that's something i'm pretty passionate about instead of the latter if you know what i mean i think what's kind of interesting and i, and I don't know how we're going to have this conversation but it's pretty common knowledge right that most of the comedy producers organizers club owners are sort of white mm. like middle-aged maybe some of the younger up-and-coming ones 
Um, you know, the likes of Matt Coon. Um, probably wouldn't say that Jamie Patterson's old. Um, not compared to me anyway. But, you know, <laughs> so then we're trying to, um, you know, we want to build a Amara Pacific comedy sort of, you know, showcasing, et cetera, et cetera. Is there an element of someone in the Maric Pacific community to step up to actually start taking on the producing? Because it is a fair amount of work. And, and I think you've done, you know, I think you've created a couple of nights at Ding Dong and stuff like that. And you've got acts you're trying to get in and this and that and the other. Um, is, 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 uh, I'm trying to work out what's the way forward of, of trying to, you know, increase those, those shows out in the community. Is it the community itself going, actually, we're going to take this on and take accountability for it? Or yeah. some of the existing producers got to go, actually, I'm going to do this. Or do they, in turn, have a danger of, like, what are you doing stepping into this space type thing? Do you get what I'm saying? I do get what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, it would, yeah, the last thing that would sort of, or the worst thing that could happen is if, if a bunch of Pākehā people go, oh, cool, we'll make a, a Māori space for Māori people because that's sort of just doing like this just slapping them in the face really so that, that would be probably the worst thing that had happened but I think a lot of it is it, it comes down to to the individual or, or you know or us as a group now we've formed this group which is really really good I mean it's it's um still very new and people still have very busy lives so it's hard to organize um a large group of people but I think the key thing would be um to get the Maori and Pacifica people who um are really passionate about this to organize gigs in areas where there's going to be a lot of Maori and Pacifica people, especially the fact that it comes it comes really a lot down to um, having gigs of Maori and Pacifica people and performing it to their own people are going to inspire more comics to get involved in the scene. You're not going to do a lot of inspiration from Ponsonby, you know. So you got to bring it to their doorstep and you got to show them their 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 people doing it, and then they're going to be invited. You know, it'd be like Sort of be like hosting a, a, a yeah, Te Matatini, you know, or a Kapahaka festival, but you're having it in um, fucking somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 all the people on the poster are white. They've all got white names. There's nothing mouldy about it. That's essentially it's the same thing. So, I mean, I think a lot of it would just comes down to self responsibility and going, okay, cool. Let's organise this ourselves. It's a, it's faster than trying to go, Scott and the Comedy Guild, we need this, you need, we need you to start doing it. B, it's going to be a lot better curated for the people. And C, it's um, going to provide income for the Māori people who are organ or Pacifica people who are organising it instead of the, the people who are already getting paid for their gigs getting more money for another gig. So... That's my answer to the situation anyways, is to, is to run our own gigs in, in our own areas to inspire an influx of people because at the end of the day, it is, it is um, majority rules in, in, in a democratic situation or any, any form of democracy is majority rules and we're a minority at the moment. So we need to build our numbers up, get people who are inspi inspired by us and then go, cool, well, we've got this fan base, we've got these numbers, we can make X amount of dollars, take us fucking seriously. Then you got fuck you money and you can do whatever you want. Definitely. But you look at people who want to organise, you know, there's so much experience of communities organising themselves across South 
Auckland, for instance, mm. where they will have a get together. Right, they need to raise a load of money to repair a church or to you know send some people overseas to do some work, something like that. They'll have mm-hmm. they'll have a get together. They'll get organised. They'll set up a big event. They'll hire a space. They'll put on a show, and they'll take in the money. And they'll like you know they'll raise tens of thousands of dollars in one oh, year. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. The thing with um, Maori Pacifica peoples is a different culture, so you've got to approach it a little bit differently. We you, you can't just um, put some stuff up on Event Finder on Facebook. You've got to sort of get down there on the coal face and go like, you know, hey, yeah. this is you know. So you've really got to communicate them face to face because that's how we respond. Like I'm not, I'm pretty. To be honest, I'm really shit at messaging. And um, I'm much, if you call me, I'll have a two hour long conversation of you, but message me. Right. Make a note to never call me. I like talking to people and I like <laughs> seeing people and, and hearing people's voices. And yeah. a lot of Maori people like that. They're not really going to be a little bulletin or a message on Facebook isn't, isn't the way to do it. So, yeah. So, did you walk out of the Who is feeling fairly positive that there's something going to happen moving forward? Yeah, I did. I did feel fairly. I mean, I felt the first thing, and this is pretty everybody there too, felt really drained. It was quite an energy draining um, situation where we all sort of had to talk about a lot of things and we had to be quite, um, you had to be very um, sort of willing to listen and willing to take responsibility and, and just um, had to put a lot out there. So um, it was quite, it was very exhausting. But at the, at the end of it, we, we felt a lot more organized we'd sort of been given um the encouragement that was that was needed from from the guild and stuff like that they were really really encouraging so it was it was great good just keeping that ball rolling would be the hardest thing i think out of that whole um situation is keeping the ball rolling um not relying too much on key individuals to do Mm because they're just going to burn themselves out if they try and do all the work and they're going to get fucked off and um and also, the more voices involved, the better it is. I'm not. I'm all for Maori rights, and I'm all for um, Pacifica rights, and everything like that. And I'm a very big ad- advocate for that. But I'm also very sort of against um, generalizing people and, and and putting people in boxes. So I'm not. At the same time, I I don't want the same time. I don't want people to make jokes, make white people the butt of all jokes, and that's. One aspect of the community I don't like is fucking white people this or fucking white people that because, look, I'm white, but I'm also Maori. You know, I play rugby and I'm a butcher, but I'm also gay. You shouldn't put people in... in I don't like... You know, I, I've never fit into stereotypes, so mm. I don't really like stereotyping people. Plus, to me, Pākehā people is such a massive culture. You know, you can't just turn around to Pākehā people and it's English people. That's... That could be Swedish people. That could be French. It could be fucking a lot of different groups of people. So that's one thing I sort of want to... That's the only aspect I don't like about some of the stuff now is... And I know people say reverse racism isn't real. It's fucking real. You, you can't... You, you're being prejudiced no matter what. And I don't like prejudice. So. Yeah, I think you're right. I think once you start to make it race versus race, I think you lose yes. the battle, right? And that's the thing that sort of does scare me. That's probably the only element about it that doesn't necessarily scare me, but concerns me. It's the only element that really concerns me about that situation is, is making it segregated, like in, putting in segregation. I even joked about that to 
uh, Borny, who was the facilitator when we had our own little catch-up uh, a couple of weeks ago. He goes, oh, what would, um, you know, what, what sort of concerns you? And I said, well, because the, the easy option is segregation, but that's not the right thing to do. So I said, that's the only thing that concerns me. Is our, our easiest option would be just straight segregation. Right, we're doing our own Māori comedy guild. We have our own Māori Pacifica comedy guild, our own competition. We have our own rule. We have our own... It's not the way of the future, so... Look, I think there's absolutely to have Maori Pacifica nights, to have LGBTQI plus nights. I think there's, I openly celebrate that that happens. But I think if that became what the community was, that would be a horrible, horrible shame because the whole be, yeah. thing about comedy is the fact of having a community where everybody can go to that feels safe and feels comfortable with perform no matter what race, what sexuality, what diversity, what gender, you know, that's the beautiful thing about comedy and entertainment. If we were to end up, as you say, into a segregated community, then I think that would be horrific, personally. Me too. I think that would be really horrific and it would be a real shame if that was where it went to because it'd be incredibly lazy, first and foremost. It'd be incredibly mm. lazy if everybody was like, you know what, fuck it, we'll just do our own thing you guys can get fucked. And also... Um, it just wouldn't be the same. I mean, you've got to have that diversity and everybody complements each other really nicely. I, I find anyway, the best aspects of every human complements each other's culture really nicely. So, you know, you can't have a really funny, jovial, jolly, big Māori fella get on stage without having like, you know, the petite, quietly spoken Pākehā woman, you know, the Pākehā mum with two kids doing cracking her jokes. <laughs> um, like some of the female comics and they're fucking hilarious those Pākehā women with two kids you know they're really really funny but they complement each other because they're, they're contrasted I've never personally felt unsafe or anything like that I mean I totally agree it'd be great to see you know, more brown people getting up and doing comedy because they're funny they're really good at it but um, I've never really felt unsafe or felt segregated or felt you know and that goes for being gay as well. I've never felt anything like that in the comedy scene so far. So there is a lot of there is still some noise going around though that there are people that still don't feel it's a safe place, and and that there's probably still activity going on that's probably less than desirable. Yeah, of course, you, you come across that kind. Of, are you hearing that messaging as well? I'm hearing people talk about that and I'm hearing people's opinions on it, but I've never experienced that myself. I've never heard somebody say anything stereotypical. I've never even heard somebody be called a hoary by a Pākehā person So in the comedy scene, which is, um, I can think of a lot worse things, but no one's been like, oh, he's that hoary fella from down south or whatever, and I've never heard that. So yeah, I personally haven't, but at the same time, Darren, like I think I'm not really your best judge on that sort of thing just with the past i've had feeling yeah. unsafe for me is like the, i mean <laughs> i felt unsafe because someone held a gun to me you know held me out with a gun like that's when i felt really unsafe or situations like that you know i've had guns pointed at me and stuff so i've that's when i felt unsafe not because someone's made a snide remark yeah yeah i mean that's it just because we don't feel unsafe doesn't mean other people don't have a legitimate Exactly, and that's why I don't try. Yeah. I try not to comment on other people's situations too much. I only really talk about my own because I don't feel unsafe. I haven't felt excluded by anybody. The only time I've ever felt sort of judged about was just being a country bumpkin or being a bit rough around the edges. <laughs> yeah. 
and okay. been a bit loud and talking, you know, talking some shit, and, and people being like, "Oh, this guy's a bit, a bit crazy." But that's the only time I've really felt any judgment. It's never been about race or sexuality, and and like I said, I'm not the best judge because I've been in some fucking scary situations, and um, you know, people making comments are just whatever to me. Yeah, I mean, I've been called a faggot that many times now. It's, it just washes over me. There's water off the duck's back. I don't care. Yeah. But if you felt you had to raise a concern in the community, do you are you confident that it would get dealt with fairly or in a way? Or do you still feel there's work to be done? Um, fairly is interesting. I don't know because I've seen other situations be dealt with by the Comedy Guild that sort of seem like they should just be dealt with by the two people. Um, but they've sort of been dealt quite harshly towards someone so like i mean i don't know if i'd call it fear um but i would be very confident that if i laid a complaint something would be done absolutely yeah. and i was sort of in a situation where people who told me to do that after a gig once where some guy kept i kept touching my leg and touching my nuts and he was playing gay chicken and and like the a lot of the girls were like fuck you should make a complaint about that you know da, da, da. and i was like i don't really care like, it doesn't bother me but if i had i'm sure something would have gotten done yeah, it's always a difficult one, isn't it? You know, you're, first of all, you've got to get obviously the, the truth out of both sides of a story. You know, the, the old adage of there's three sides to every story, but uh, I'm absolutely convinced some of it's legitimate, right? There's never any smoke without fire. Yeah, absolutely. And and I totally agree with you. There, there is no smoke without fire, and, and there are definitely, you know, aspects of it. But um, what people sort of always I like well I always try to remember and keep in mind is uh, we're constantly as a national as a species human beings are constantly progressing and moving forward and um, you know just because it's not if you look back 20 years you would be like that was a different fucking completely <laughs> different, you know like it was oh, yeah. so different even if you look at the movies that were coming out 20 years ago they're just they would never fly now so hopefully in another 20 years it'll be a little utopia and hopefully we haven't gone too far over the other side because that would be a real shame yeah where you don't have any fucking freedom of expression and yeah 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 i don't feel like we're we're in danger of that yet but i think it is important to always be aware of it and uh yeah be checking ourselves yeah human beings are real good at at, at doing everything trying to do everything to the best of their abilities and sometimes they just take it a little bit too far you know well that's what we've seen with cancel culture in the last 18 months right even mm. some of the most crazy things have kind of uh, become victim to it but at the same time you know there is some stuff that genuinely did need to be stamped out with the old cancel culture in the last especially in the last year 18 months oh my god it's been fucking crazy and even i feel um, so what did somebody call me that I found crazy? Someone called me white passing. So white passing is because I'm white pass yeah. for a Pakeha person, then I've got it easier than other Maori people. So there's all these different sub. Oh. Yeah, and you can pass as straight, so you've got it easier than other gay people. Yeah, exactly that sort yeah. of stuff. But and so like <laughs> there's all these sort of sub genres that have been like coming up of you know like now they're just making it more and more. The rules are getting tighter and tighter and tighter. No, no, no. Okay, well, you can't just be a Maori victim because you've got to be a certain skin tone to be that. And that mm. You've got to have a certain pitch in your voice to be, you know, a gay victim and stuff like that. So 
Hopefully, I mean, I think, and from the looks of it too, overseas, it's plateaued. That sort of attitude is plateaued. We're yeah. Going, oh, we're getting a little bit out of control. Let's just keep the racism, sexism, and bigotry towards zero and carry on with the rest of our lives. The yeah. problem is because we've got such a diverse uh, world now and um, the people, there's, you know, one of everything. So it doesn't matter what you say, especially as a comedian, you're going to offend somebody, but... Fuck it, like I, like I hate to say it, I always bring it back to my past. Um, it's not that bad, you know what I mean? Trust me, I've been through some bad shit. It's yeah. not that bad, you know. You, people, you, you should should have way bigger fish to fry. I've, I've had times where I haven't been able to eat for days, you know, because I have no money. Um, I've been in situations where I've had family members um, threaten to smash me if I didn't smoke meth, and I had to sit there and smoke meth with them, you know. And if I want to go to sleep after three days, that'd be a hiding. Staying up for nine days. So I just think people should prioritize and maybe be a bit grateful. Maybe just take a step back and go, well, do you know what? This is the worst thing that happens to me. Fucking ain't that bad, you know? Yeah, life's all right. Yeah. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to come, especially because I'm, I'm part of the millennials, you know what I mean? I don't want to be one of those people who be like, back and, you know, things could be hard. I just be grateful for what you got. But I'm very yeah. much a person, you know? Because every day I'm sort of grateful for the things I have in my life because fuck it hasn't always been like this. So and I do I can't stress enough that you should have some gratitude for what's going on in your life. And yes, yeah, sure, something bad's happened, but something bad happened today. Well somebody said something, Mike Hoskins said something that made you upset. But fuck, let's move <laughs> on anyway. Yeah, and the other thing is you never quite know what someone else has been through, right? So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But just, you know, like there's some really um, genuine things you should be um, fighting against in this world and, and people just sort of need to focus back onto that, you know. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about child poverty or, you know, hunger in a long time on the internet, but I do hear a lot about fucking people saying something about Mike Hosking or someone, you know, po political shit, you see it all the time. But I, I very rarely do I see somebody be like, do you know that in Russia there's all these people getting rounded up and um, what do you call them? Uh, concentration camps for being homosexual. Mm. You know, and in China, they've got these fucking hardcore work labor camps and, and all these atrocities. And I don't really care about Mike Hosking, you know, stop bringing the guy up. Yeah. <laughs> not really important, you know? And he's not even that bad, actually. He's not. No, you did right. He's not that bad. It's far, it's far worse out there than him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But people of my generation are really quick to get up in arms about something and, I, I, and going back to that classic old mate sort of attitude, you know, like they, they've had it pretty easy. And I don't want to sound like a cunt, but I am a bit of a cunt, you know. It's all right. <laughs> um, I'll edit. I'll edit all this stuff. Um, I'll probably edit quite a lot of the last twenty minutes or so. So we all sound okay, but still manage to say what we're trying to say. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, because there's people in our own country who are going, and like I've had it easy compared to some people in our own country. I know people who've had it real fucking bad, you know, so yes. and I grew up with people who had it real fucking bad, you know. And, I mean, I've still had it pretty bad. I got sexually abused as a kid. I, you know, had a lot of bad shit happen to me. But um, in our own country, there's some real hardcore shit going on. And, and, um, and you know, people shouldn't worry so much about the mainstream media and what's going on, you know. That's right. I got a whole I just leave my phone. I don't even, you know, look at it. Now, I've stopped doing the Facebook doom scrolling now. 
yeah. I refuse. As soon yeah. as anyone starts sharing stuff about runaway climate change or all this terrible stuff going on, I just unfollow them. I still stay yeah. friends, but I unfollow so I don't see their posts anymore. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same, you know. You're not yes. going to get anything solved on Facebook as, as well, you know, that's the thing too. Facebook is for jokes and staying connected with your friends. Absolutely, yeah, that's the thing. And that, that's one thing where um, that's probably what's caused the social justice warrior culture to get so out of control was it was really isolated on the internet. I mean, I'm sure if a lot of those people had to get organised about you know, you see the real major things people got organised and stood up for, like Black Lives Matter and things like that. But when it, mm. you know, go and try and organise a march against Magic FM, you know, or AM, yeah. <laughs> people who are outraged about that, they're not going to get out of bed for it. So, oh, people, people only need a couple of hundred followers or a couple of hundred friends, and all of a sudden they've got an audience in which to. Uh, to uh, pontificate their social views on life. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. But 90% of the people who are following you or friends with you actually don't care. Yeah, 100%. And one thing I will say to those people too who who get all up in arms about a lot of the things in cultures and in, in our culture that they don't like, it's almost offensive. And I hate to say it, but it's actually almost offensive um, because... I know a lot of people who, are, who have been through stuff like me be going, you know, fuck, you can put a lot of effort into whinging about things you don't like, but like you, where were you when we were hungry? Where were you when we were fucking washed up? You know, you didn't, need to, you didn't care. You don't care. So don't even try and act like you do on Facebook because you're not there helping people. I don't see you at a soup kitchen. I don't see you trying to do those positive effort, like positive um, changes for the society. You're just real happy to whinge about it. And, for you to stand there and whinge to say that you felt offended because somebody did something transphobic. Transphobia sucks, but I tell you what, starvation's going to kill you first. Jokes about both. <laughs> no wonder I haven't seen you around much. <laughs> Choose your audience, though. <laughs> oh, shit, Jess. Fuck yeah, that's a big one, right? So... So Elliot, like obviously you've had a, a lot going on in the in comedy and stuff like that over, you know, over the last year. What what have you got coming up, or what what anything you want to promote coming forward about what you've got going on? Nothing really off the top of my head. I just did no homo, and and like I took a few things away from that, which I thought was a really really, just some really really good aspects of that. Um, uh, it was a really good. Don't me wrong, it was a really, really good gig, but one thing I really noticed from that is the way they sort of organised that gig. I think a, a lot of it comes to it selling out, um, where they only do it once a month. I mean, I've been talking, I've been doing that quiz in, in Birkenhead now, and they've been talking to me about doing a, a comedy night on Thursdays, um, which I'd, I'd run for them, obviously. So that would be really good, and, and so hopefully I can get the ball rolling on that. Um, and we can start doing organising gigs there. But one thing I would really like to do is to to set up a gig where we are only doing it once a month. Um, yes. Just because I find they're the best. You know, like the, the problem with our open mic scene, I find at Auckland is it really cannibalises itself because there's so many going on. There's a lot of people all trying to um, get their gigs up and running and get them thinking. So it, it's a real shame. So I think a once a month gig and actually make it a big like banger that would be actually ideal and that's something i really want to look into doing especially doing more stuff with dylan and his drag queens um and his drag um side of thing i would love to have that element 
into it because there's some really funny queens out there who make some really, really good content. Yeah. And um, to have a gig with them doing some stand-up would be great. So like a stand-up stroke drag type of night? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And you could have, you know, like the way I would, I would have it would be, you know, have, have like a, not just the queens who are performing there, but, you know, you could have queens who are actually working at the venue too, handing out drinks and, and you know, like cruising around and, and chatting to people and stuff like that. And they could be like the before and after entertainment where they're mingling with the crowd. But just having mm-hmm. that that um, drag element in there because it's a lot of fun. It's something I was never really exposed to until I met my current partner. And um, took me a little while to get into it too. At first, I was like, "What the fuck?" And um, <laughs> you know, it was, I just didn't know. Yeah, I grew up in Picton. I was like, "This is fucking different." But after getting into it and, and seeing these characters that these people create, because the drag queen, you know, they've got their own name. It's a, it's it's a completely different individual. So yeah, I just noted like, man, this, and it's it, they're really funny. They've lived a really interesting life. They know how to tell a story and they're natural performers. So having them in, incorporated, I think, not to mention it's very sellable at the moment, drag. Yeah. Very popular at the moment. And, and I think that would be a great way to get um, a different audience, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And amen to monthly gigs as well. Are you enjoying the quizzing, hosting the quiz and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, I actually am. I'm, I've always been a huge fan of general knowledge and my mum being a school teacher that we were always, um, like, Trivial Pursuit was something we'd always play, like, constantly, especially when it was raining. So um, I love general knowledge. and I, I've always been a big fan of going to a quiz, but part of the team. So I'm really enjoying it, yeah. It's a different aspect, obviously, like, you still get to talk and you sort of get a, your ego gets stroked a little bit because you're calling out the things, but it's a lot more relaxed you don't feel when i first did it i was like cracking jokes and you know former man you don't have to perform you could just relax and read out the question and stuff like that and i'd compensate whenever like picture somebody would come and be like oh you know like look at this like make some joke about the person's appearance or something like that yes and some some quizzes they just don't want jokes at all some they don't like don't mind a couple thrown in when you're you know scoring and stuff like that but but most they just want you to get through the questions actually because they want those beer vouchers yeah and i had i had a team there who's won at every they've won it every single time except for the first one where they never they weren't there for it but obviously they take it quite seriously and they always win and they they go there to to quiz Mm. then they're not interested in any of the any of the rest of it they want to answer questions yeah, here's a question for you. Are you entering the raw quest again this year? Yes, yeah, I'm in it. Yeah, I've done my first heat. Cool. I did my first heat earlier this month. I think it was yeah, earlier this month. I I believe my first heat was, and um, that went really well. I always love performing at the Classic because it's such a nice venue. It fills up. You know, it's you get that taste of really doing a proper comedy gig, mm. not just an open mic gig so it's really good i I absolutely love it hopefully i get into the finals this year that'd be a nice go from semis and then finals this year but we'll see get yourself a nice couple of big wednesday spots and stuff like that next yeah absolutely yeah yeah but i mean so far i mean even in the short time i've been doing even though because i started it right at the end basically of last year like august right so right towards the end of the royal comp i think the only reason why i got in is because of covid they'd postponed it but um yeah. uh so you know like 
I've really only been doing raw for a year because I haven't even been doing comedy for a year. And even in that small amount of time, you, it's really beneficial. A lot of people get to know your name and who you are. Ben Hurley came up to me the other day and goes, oh, are you Elliot? And so like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, I've heard, of, heard about you. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but it's weird because it's like, oh, God, I've never, like, I've never met this guy before. So, and he's, obviously, people have talked about me, so. I'm sure it's all good as well. Um, anyway, no, it was all shit. So. <laughs> I think we've got a good name for this uh, for this episode based on your um, previous career as a butcher. So I think we're going to call it Elliot McLaren's Got Chops. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's good. That's Gosh. great. Nice. We used to say that in the shop and there was a good looking, like say, if a, the other boys would always see me out um, if there was a good looking girl in the shop looking around the butcher shop and they go, you know, what's the chop? <laughs> um anyway um thanks very much for coming on it's been really awesome chatting with you um this will probably be published no it's awesome it be my pleasure this is a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> it's been real good it's actually been you know quite inspiring listening to the background and um how it's all where you've ended up now it's uh it's a great story <laughs>